Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Also by JohnPLA.com. Lots of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. A um, couple different topics. We're going to do a little filibuster as we normally do and just see where the show takes us. If you want to throw a comment, whether it's YouTube Premiere, whether it's Facebook Live, uh, give the show a call if you want, 732-364-3598. I was thinking about some of the things going on with the backlash of what we saw last Thursday. And it's, once again, another event that happens that kind of mars sports, that kind of takes you from the point of watching competition amongst players and turning it into really a mockery and really what Miles Garrett did and the whole actions of the Browns and the Steelers the other day on a random Thursday night football game really were a disgrace to the National Football League and pretty similar to other acts and events that we've seen in the history of professional sports. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm going to make a case of why fans are really out of their mind in their hate and disdain towards newly minted San Francisco Giants manager, Gabe Kapler, a guy who basically is not given much control other than that of the clubhouse and basically is being treated as if he is the worst managerial candidate in the history of Major League Baseball. Because of that, I'm rooting for him, and when he succeeds, I'm going to throw it in everybody's face like I have with a couple other things. I'm going to do some comparisons as we think about the possibility of Major League managers being suspended as a result of this scam and this cheating scandal that involves the Houston Astros and perhaps manager A.J. Hinch, perhaps bench coach at the time, Alex Cora, uh, outfielder at the time, and now manager of the New York Mets, Carlos Beltran. So we'll discuss that in a little bit, as always. I have to tell you that the show belongs to you. So anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, please let me know. So let's let's go right at it. The embarrassing implications that we're going to see from the events of Thursday. Of course, if you haven't seen it by now, the viral video, of course, which is a nationally televised game on ESPN showing Miles Garrett ripping the head off of quarterback Mason Rudolph's head and beating him with it makes you think of other violent acts that happened over the course of sports history. And you think of Juan Marichal using his bat as a weapon to hit catcher Johnny Roseborough in the head in 1965. There's the Marty McSorley stick-swinging incident against Donald Brashear. There was another event, and I apologize for not having this off the top of my head. I pride myself in, in, in just knowing stuff, not having to look it up. But there was there was another um, stick-swinging incident. I believe it involved John Moore, who was, was the player, and ended up getting hit in the head. But it makes you think of events like that. And it makes you kind of almost even think of the malice in a palace. You know, the Ron Artest running into the crowd, um, going after fans. And similar things that have disgraced sports. So we've always looked at sports as really that, you know, sanctuary that we could jump into 
and not think about the evilness of the world. When you think of people that are getting murdered, um, inner cities that people have to live their lives a little differently with the thought that they could be robbed or assaulted or hurt on a day in and day out basis. You know, if you live in, you know, in, in fear of anything happening to you, but also in fear of health or safety or just unhappiness in general. You could turn to the world of sports pretty similar to you, like you could turn to the world of entertainment or music to kind of temporarily take your mind away from things that you might not be so happy about over the course of your own life. And when sports have moments like you saw with Miles Garrett swinging his helmet and hitting Mason Rudolph in the head in, you know, in an assault in violent nature, it kind of interferes with that sanctuary. And I'm glad that the NFL went after not just Garrett by suspending him for the rest of the season. Marquise Pouncey, I thought, may have gotten suspended for a little bit too long, three games. I know he kind of went after Garrett after he noticed what he did, but what do you expect the teammate to do in that situation? Maybe kicking Garrett when he's on the ground was a little bit too much. Should have resulted in some suspension, but maybe three games was a little much. But maybe the point of the whole ruling of the National Football League was to make a stance and say that conduct like this is going to be absolutely unacceptable. Conduct like this should never happen again in a National Football League game. And I think the best way to do it was when they, when they uh, fined each one of those two organizations $250,000 for basically embarrassing themselves. And it's, it's just an absolute joke that either one of these two teams would allow something like this to happen. And I know we talk about rivalries as they exist in sports, rivalries as they exist in the National Football League between two interdivision rivals. But you don't see it happening throughout football. You got a, a mean-spirited game between the, the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers last Sunday. Those teams hate each other. But they weren't acting in a way that the Steelers and the Browns were acting. There is a hatred that exists and a vitriol within that own division of the AFC North that really can't be compared to that of other divisions in sports. And that's probably the part of it that probably ticks you off the most as a fan that's trying to watch this. And like I said, the most important thing that I say is that the actions of the game and the end of the game last Thursday took the fans away from their sanctuary. And that sanctuary is sport and competition and rooting interest. And sure, it can get a little mean-spirited between fans. I'm sure there's Steeler fans in Cleveland that were duking it out with Browns fans. It happens all over the National Football League. It happens all over sports. Imagine being that fan of the other team wearing that jersey in there. You're going to have to take some sort of negative vibes from the other fans at the very least, but probably insults. And perhaps you could be challenged to a fight if you're sensitive, if you want to go back at it, there's probably going to be some sort of fighting. But you know, you're outnumbered in that situation. But you know, when you look at what happened the other the other day, and I just I'm just I'm embarrassed for the world of sports, let alone the National Football League, because it's just very important to understand the people that are watching the game, whether it's in person or it's on television, 
many are trying to escape different problems that they're going through over the course of their own lives. And like I said, when you have events like this that happen, it kind of brings you back to more of the same. And, you know, you think, like I said, of the malice in the palace and Auburn Hills with the Pacers and the Pistons and Ron Artest going into the crowd and the mockery that that made of the NBA and obviously the backlash and that existed for that for many years. But, you know, you think of stick swinging incidents in hockey and, you know, Juan Marichal basically taking his bat and using it as a weapon against a defenseless catcher who, by the way, had his mask off. John Roseborough was willing to engage in a physical altercation with Juan Marichal. He took his mask off. And Juan Marichal took his bat and clubbed him over the head with it. That's pretty much the closest thing that I can relate to in a world of sports history that we've seen. And that put a black eye on baseball. It put a black eye on baseball for a long time. Obviously, it took forever for Juan Marichal's reputation to be changed from his choice of his actions of that day. The Baseball Hall of Fame, which acknowledged how great of a pitcher Juan Marichal was and what he represented for the generation of baseball that he pitched in, held him out of the Hall of Fame for a year. Not because of anything that he accomplished as far as a pitcher he was, but because of what he did to John Roseboro. And I know him and Marichal ended up becoming friends towards the end of Roseboro's life. They ended things on good terms. They did things together. They ended up unifying because of such a horrific injury. The best thing I could suggest, if you're Miles Garrett and you want to get yourself, I, I don't know, rehabilitated. I mean, you have people going out there saying, "Hey, Miles Garrett's a good guy. He gives a good interview. He's, you know, he's well spoken. He's a nice person. He doesn't have a reputation for acts of violence like this. He's not perfect." He's been fined and suspended in the National Football League before. Um, we're not going to make a case that Miles Garrett is Fontaine's perfect, but you understand how one individual act can kind of raise somebody's perception from zero to 60 when you start to talk about what kind of person they are. And if Miles Garrett thought from a reputation standpoint is maybe to change his reputation, which is going to take an absolute hit here, Nobody's going to view Miles Garrett as a good person. Maybe ever again. Maybe he should do something in regards to not a public apology, but to make amends somehow with Mason Rudolph. And maybe do something similar to what Juan Marichal was able to do with Johnny Roseborough. You know, mend the differences, not just apologize. Because think about it, most apologies that are out there, especially in a world of sports, are half-ass and are not meant. You say you're sorry, but you're not really sorry. You're saying you're sorry just because you're caught, just because you know it's something you're told to do. And these half-ass apologies, you know that they don't even come from the heart anyway. But when you're talking about mending what is a very bad situation, Miles Garrett should... Maybe contact Juan Marichal. Because Juan Marichal at some point in a heated rivalry that existed between the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers at that time managed to bury the hatchet. Managed to not only apologize to John Roseboro, but to talk and speak with them, become closer to him, 
and end up becoming friends over the rest of their lives. And Miles Garrett has an opportunity here. Now, he's not going to be able to do it overnight, but he has a chance to change this for the positive. If over the course of the rest of his football league career, which, by the way, we don't know when it's going to start again, he's suspended for the rest of the season. He's suspended indefinitely. He's got to meet with the commissioner after the season to determine the length of his suspension and how long it'll apply in the next year. It might be a whole nother year. It could be for life. You never know. But if you're looking to mend this situation, it's going to take something that seemed like it was just as impossible as talking to the enemy in a Dodgers-Giants rivalry. But it's going to involve the Browns, who, by the way, have not been a good team for a very long time, still aren't very good. We know they hate the Steelers. We know the Steelers hate them. Might be a chance for Miles Garrett over the course of time to win some of the general public back over. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPLE.com, and JohnPLE LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for showing, is similarly prohibited. So, you know, I can't mention anything in my show without talking about the role of Major League Baseball managers as we're in the year of 2019 going into 2020. And all you hear amongst fans and people associated with the game is this person's a bad manager, that person's a bad manager. And, I, and I've said before, I start to use that as my judge of one's baseball acumen. When something doesn't go right over the course of a game or a season, and the first thing you got to say is the manager. You know, that's all you have to say. You don't even have to blob anything else out there and say, la, 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 about, you know, bitching about this, bitching about that. As soon as you mention the manager of Major League Baseball, I know where your baseball acumen is. I know how much of an IQ as it comes to the sport of baseball you have. It's not very much. And maybe, maybe you got your baseball IQ from people that got you into the game of baseball. Maybe you've just tuned out to the sport of baseball for the last couple of years. Maybe you've forgotten uh, you know, information that's being thrown right before your eyes. And if we talk about how computers and analytics have come at the expense of the major league manager, then you don't have the right to blame the major league manager for anything that's re involved in the analytics or the numbers. The numbers and the stats that are being thrown their way, the information that's being given to them to apply to make sure that the players use it over the course of the game comes at the expense of the major league manager. Yet, all you have to hear is the backlash that exists, not just in the area of San Francisco, not just here in the Northeast as it applies to Philadelphia sports fans, but all major league baseball fans that think that the worst hire in the history of Major League Baseball was the San Francisco Giants hiring Gabe Kapler as their manager for the 2020 season. And because of that, I'm an even bigger Gabe Kapler fan than I was before. I'm rooting for Gabe Kapler to succeed. And I do that with the complete understanding that Gabe Kapler sitting in the dugout for the San Francisco Giants is not going to be the reason whether the Giants succeed or don't succeed. It's going to be the work of Farhan Zaidi and newly 
named general manager. I forgot the guy's name from, from the Cubs. It's going to be what they do as far as assembling a team and having that team work together with players and have the players have the proper data that they're using over the course of the baseball game, which is going to determine whether the San Francisco Giants are going to be a winning baseball team or a losing baseball team going forward. And I hope it's the former. I hope the Giants get themselves back into the playoffs and become a perennial playoff team and maybe win themselves a World Series championship so I could stick it up the ass of all of you people that say that Gabe Kapler is a bad manager. First of all, there's no definition in Major League Baseball as of a bad manager right now in 2019 going into 2020. If you think a manager is bad, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You can talk about bad data. You can talk about bad front offices. You can talk about bad players as they exist in Major League Baseball. A manager doesn't have a, an ability to be bad or good in a game right now. So when you speak that and you say that there's a bad manager, it proves how little you understand about the game of Major League Baseball right now. So Gabe Kapler, I hope he succeeds in San Francisco. I hope he starts his career for winning World Series championships and getting himself in a position where he can be a Hall of Fame manager. And obviously, Hall of Fame managers right now are not done off of the merits of anything that they did. It's done over whether their teams won or their teams lost. Bruce Bochy is going to go into the Hall of Fame with a losing record as a major league manager. You know why? Because he won three World Series championships. Terry Francona, managing the Cleveland Indians right now, won two World Series championships as a manager for the Boston Red Sox. There's a good chance that he's going to go into baseball's Hall of Fame. There's only a handful of managers that have won multiple World Series championships that aren't in the Hall of Fame. Now, you can talk about the impact of those prior managers. You can talk about a guy like Bill Carrigan, who ended up having a losing record as a major league manager, won two World Series championships with the Red Sox in the 19-teens. Did he have more or less of an impact on those teams? Probably had more of an impact than, let's say, Alex Cora did on the Red Sox when they won the World Series championship in 2018. Like I said, the data takes the place of the work of the manager. The job's being done for him. And actually, as we talk about, and we'll transition into the next topic of the show today, talking about the scandal that exists in Houston. Are they cheating? Were they cheating? Did, did they use technology and computers and cameras to you know, survey you know, with surveillance over what the other teams are going to do in a given moment. How much of an advantage does that give them? And if whoever is involved in that is found guilty or proven to have done what is alleged that they're done, they've done, there's going to be suspensions. There's going to be fines. There's going to be perhaps draft picks being taken away. Now, before I talk about the implications of potentially three major league managers, that are currently in positions, as they all have ties to that Houston Astros team of 2017, I think of what the ramifications could be of anybody that cheats over the course of sports. And if you listened to my show last or a couple days ago, we were talking about players that cheat. We could talk about teams that, through a collaborative effort of working together, cheat. How much 
of an implication does it have over the course of an individual game? The banging, perhaps, of a dugout, of a bat against the dugout, similar to Brett Gardner when he gets pissed off of a call he didn't like with the New York Yankees. You know, when when that those bangs are happening and that hitter knows it's a curveball as opposed to a fastball, does he have that much of an advantage? Enough of an advantage to determine whether a team wins a World Series or not? Because this is a part of it that's been discussed for a little bit. And, and I understand this aspect because I think this is very important to look at. Does it determine whether you win the World Series or not? Are the Astros, in other words, the World Series champions of 2017 because of the use of their surveillance equipment to give themselves better knowledge of pitches that are coming in? In other words, without that, would they not have won the World Series? And the answer is absolutely 100% unequivocally no. So when we talk about the lengths of how far you're going to go by penalizing an individual team, we're not going to go to root of taking World Series championships away. In fact, the only sport that does that or the only arena or avenue or place that does that on a regular basis is the NCAA. And we're talking about amateur athletes. And honestly, we're not talking about anything that really counts. I know the fans believe that the NCAA champion in football or basketball is a big deal. A ton of money is bet on college basketball and college football. College basketball and college football have made universities into what they are. Have made universities and colleges millions upon millions of dollars. But it's the only arena that you could talk about where championships are taken away. You're not going to do that in professional sports. And anybody that wants to do that over the course of professional sports really needs to get their head, head examined. Because honestly, the ones that are the most outspoken about the Astros 2017 World Series Championship, the ones that want to see the Astros have their World Series Championship vacated, odds are are probably Los Angeles Dodger fans. Odds are are probably New York Yankee fans. And obviously the Astros played the Dodgers in the World Series in 2017. The Astros played the New York Yankees in the ALCS in 2017. Obviously you're talking about bitter fans that are more pissed off at the Astros, but sure, would love to have a, another World Series championship for their team. That Dodger team of 2017, sure, if they're given a World Series championship, they'd have a new celebration, they'd have a new Canyon of Heroes parade down the, you know, whatever road of their choice in Hollywood, same thing for, the, you know, New York Yankees in New York City, but it would not be the same, and it's not warranted in this particular situation. Yes, you want to go after the Astros if they're found guilty of this, if you want to suspend the owner, the general manager, the front office, the manager of the team, the coaches on the team, everybody that was involved in this, I have no issue with it whatsoever. If you want to hit them where it hurts and take away the Houston Astros draft picks over the next decade, if you find out that there's enough information to implicate them on this particular situation, I say go for it. But if you're going to do anything to take away something that has happened in history, if you believe under any circumstance that... This wouldn't have happened. In other words, the Astros would not have won the World Series had they not had this knowledge. I think you're crazy. 
I mean, I, I think it helped them. If it didn't help them, I don't think they would have done it. But did it help them in a way that the general public is perceiving it right now? The answer is no. So we're not worrying about a penalty of the Astros having their World Series vacated. If they do, we're going to have a whole different discussion. But when it comes to the parties that are involved, and I think Major League Baseball has a lot of work to do, and I think if the Astros decide to be tight-lipped on this situation, it may be something that's very hard to prove. If Hinch doesn't provide any information, if Cora doesn't provide any information, if Carlos Beltran doesn't provide any information, we're talking about situations that it kind of is more hearsay than it is actual factual evidence. Who do you have right now that's speaking against the Houston Astros? Mike Fires. Yeah, former pitcher. He was on the 2017 team. They didn't tender him a contract. He became a free agent. Signed with the Detroit Tigers. Now pitches for the Oakland Athletics. Is there bitterness there? Mike Fires probably doesn't like the Astros. You can talk about any other former player of the Houston Astros that has moved on from that environment. And if they're bitter... If they have any issue with the Houston Astros, they don't like the Houston Astros as an organization. If they go back on their time that they spent with the Houston Astros and say that, hey, it may not have necessarily been the best time of my baseball career, odds are they're going to have negative feelings to say about that team. So Mike Fires doesn't like the Houston Astros. I'm not looking at him as my 100% number one you know, critically acclaimed witness. They're going to need a little more. And if we're talking about a hearsay statement, which really it is, the Astros are cheating, maybe it kind of looks a little fishy, odds are the Astros did something wrong, we have to talk about somebody that's going to have to become a major whistleblower. And I talk about Mike Fires, and I think of the former Yankees pitcher Jim Bouton, who wrote the book Ball Four. And, of course, Jim Bouton is no longer with us. May he rest in peace. He, he passed away a couple months ago. What Jim Bouton is always known for is writing a book about things that happened in the clubhouse, kind of breaking that clubhouse code. And to think about Mike Fires, a good Major League Baseball pitcher, it looks like he's gotten better over the last couple of years, had a good year last year with the Oakland Athletics. How is he perceived, first of all, by his former teammates in Houston? but now by his current teammates with the Oakland Athletics. Within the brotherhood and the confines of the clubhouse, we're talking about information that really should be amongst the players. It's not stuff that you go home and you tell your wife and kids about. Baseball, just like any other sport, has had that same type of community amongst the players. And any Major League Baseball player, or former Major League Baseball player that listens to the show understands that code that exists between players and whatever information you have you don't share it if it's going to be damning to your fellow teammates and Jim Bouton knew that when he wrote his book he lived the rest of his life with some of the consequences of the content of that book because he deep down even though he broke the code he understood what the code was and Mike Fires probably is in a similar situation. He is probably to be forever bastardized by his former Houston Astros teammates. May very well ruffle some feathers in his own clubhouse as a member of the Oakland Athletics. 
and he becomes a free agent, is he going to be blackballed? We can talk about Colin Kaepernick and the situation that he's dealing with. Some people may say he brought it on himself, but he, he certainly does not deserve to not have a job in the National Football League. He should have a chance to play. And if it's determined that he's not good enough to play anymore, then he should be out of the league. He shouldn't be out of the league because he was outspoken. I don't think Mike Fire should be out of Major League Baseball because he's outspoken. Some similar happened to Jim Bouton. After writing his book, he didn't get a ton of chances over the course of the decade of the 1970s. After that book was released, it, it was looked at as if he broke the code of the clubhouse amongst players. And in all honesty, that's something that players consider unacceptable. So as we're moving on and we're thinking about Mike Fires being a star witness, I don't think he's going to have as much power. He looks at, is looked at as, yes, a whistleblower, but where does he rank in the mix of what's going on there? It would be different if Carlos Beltran said something. It would be different if Alex Cora said something. It would be different even if A.J. Hinch, let's say, was subpoenaed and was under oath when he, talked, when he spoke and decided to tell the truth. Or if Jeff now told the truth. That would make a better case against the Houston Astros. I, I don't believe that there's a huge case that they're going to be able to prove too much. Baseball will rule at some point on this. And I do believe there will be some sanctions. I would hope that if they could determine that there is any sort of involvement, whether it's A.J. Hinch, whether it's Alex Cora, whether it's Carlos Beltran, that there will be suspensions handed out accordingly. I would expect major fines. I would expect draft picks to be forfeited over the course of time. And I'd like to see as many draft picks be forfeited over the course of time to make sure that something like this never happens again. There's a line drawn when you talk about stealing signs. If a team is too stupid to, to not do anything different than hold down a number two under their friggin' between their legs when they're the catcher to say it's a curveball, everybody in the world should know it's a curveball. But if you're using digital equipment and technology... To spy on your opponent, that's something that is against the rules. So the Astros should be dealt with accordingly. So it brings me to kind of the apex of what I wanted to talk about in regards to managers and coaches in sports that have been suspended for lengths of seasons. And two of them stand out to me. One of them we saw in 2012 or for the 2012 NFL season, and that involves Sean Payton with the New Orleans Saints. And obviously he had a couple coaches that were there to fill in for him. The Saints finished 7-9 and nine that season. Aaron Cromer and Joe Vitt combined were to kind of be the co-interim coaches for that season. Everybody knew that Sean Payton was coming back the next year. And obviously that was with the bounty scandal that involved players getting paid or getting bonuses for injuring opponents. Greg Williams, you know, the defensive coordinator who is now with the New York Jets, was very big in that scandal. Sean Payton's involvement may not have been as egregious as perhaps Williams's was, but his knowledge of it was something that was dealt with by the league and he was suspended for a full season. Leo DeRocher, the former manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, 
was suspended right before the start of the 1947 season. And obviously we remember in the history of pro sports, 1947, known as the year that Jackie Robinson made his major league debut, DeRocher was the manager. DeRocher was the one that was basically backing Robinson and what he could do for his team based off the edict of Branch Rickey who brought Robinson in. And obviously... To find out that DeRocher was suspended for the 1947 season put a blow to what Branch Rickey was trying to do by integrating baseball and having Jackie Robinson make his MLB debut. DeRocher sat out the season, a team, a year in which the Dodgers made it to the World Series in 1947, but you know he ended up being replaced by Bert Schotten. Bert Schotten managed that team. They still won the pennant. DeRocher came back the next year. A little bit of a rough start. And Branch Rickey, you could tell he was kind of still ticked off with DeRocher's choice of immorality, cheating on his wife, which was something that Rickey looked at as a serious thing. It obviously is a serious thing, but in the grand scheme of somebody having a job, you don't see too many people lose their job because they cheated on their wife or their husband. But Branch Rickey did hold it against them. Branch Rickey didn't like the fact that he was collaborating with gamblers. And even though he may not have been betting on baseball, he was surrounding himself with bad people. And that was all together the reason that DeRocher was suspended for the 1947 season. So you look at the possibility of Astros manager A.J. Hinch, now Boston Red Sox manager Alex Cora, and now newly named manager of the New York Mets, Carlos Beltran, possibly getting suspended for start or a part or maybe even all of the 2020 season. And I laugh about it because if you heard my open or if you heard any one of my shows be talking about the value of a Major League Baseball manager, you might as well just replace those guys when they're not managing or not in the dugout with, with a computer that's there that's going to print stuff out for you anyway. The manager doesn't have an imp impact on a Major League Baseball game. So the, you know, the question is going to be, obviously, from the non-knowledgeable fans that go out there or the, the ignorant fans or the ones that just choose to not absorb information that's thrown right in front of their face and has been proven a fact day in and day out. The manager does not have any impact on a Major League Baseball game. The game plan is handed to them. Their job is to implement the game plan. They're doing what they're doing. So when we talk about the Miami Marlins a couple years ago, when general manager Dan Jennings took his seat out of the GM chair and came down to the field to be a Major League Baseball manager, it was kind of looked at as a mockery. It was kind of looked at as a joke. But you can kind of look back on it and say, Maybe it was revolutionary. Maybe it was ahead of its time. Can you imagine Brian Cashman coming out of his seat as the general manager, sitting in a dugout, taking the information that he already has, and making sure the players happen? Brody Van Wagenen, in a suit and tie, sits down in the Mets dugout. The information he already has, just make sure that the players has it. What do you need a manager for? It's something that I'm going to ask time and time again. 
This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer to cost so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. A little bit of a recap of the show today. I'll put some picks up, the NFL picks in a little bit for this week. Um, I think we went two and three last week, so let's just see what that moves our record to right now. Last time I checked, we still had a winning record. Um, two and three will put us at, it looks like 30 and, it might be 30 and 30. We might be 500 right now, but, but we'll throw them up on uh, johnpielli.com, Facebook page, Twitter handle, the whole thing. Uh, a little bit of a recap of the show today. I'll tell you this, man. I'm becoming more and more of a Gabe Kapler fan every day. And the more ignorance that exists out there when people say, hey, he's a bad manager, don't understand what the role of a Major League Baseball manager is in this day and age right now. So I hope Gabe Kapler wins three World Series championships. We anoint him as a Hall of Famer. And then I could tell you that it doesn't matter matter what you think of the guy as a manager. He's going to be determined, his success or his failure is going to be determined by the players that are on the field, by the front office and the people that are above him that are making all the decisions that you used to think a manager would get. Go Gabe Kapler, go Giants. Miles Garrett has a chance over the course of time to rectify this situation. Obviously, he can't reverse anything that's happened. Swinging a helmet, hitting Mason Rudolph in the head. But I think of the relationship between Juan Marichal and Johnny Roseborough over the course of the last part of Johnny Roseborough's life. A vicious act with Juan Marichal hitting him in the head with a bat at home plate. Dodgers, Giants, major brawl. They made right of the situation. And Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph have a chance to do the same thing. Talked about Leo DeRocher, Sean Payton. Are we going to talk about season-long suspensions, perhaps, for A.J. Hinch, for Alex Cora, for Carlos Beltran? If they are, they should be replaced with the computers that are doing their job anyway. We'll be back with you in a couple days. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, and of course by JohnPielli.com. We'll be back with you in a couple days. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.